seat, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Last Sunday, we had the Feast of Holy Innocence. It fell on Sunday, uh, as it does from time to time. And then today, we have the second Sunday after Christmas, which sometimes we don't get. Sometimes you only get the first or second in terms of the lessons provided. But from Holy Innocence to the second Sunday after Christmas, we have a continuous narrative of the travels of the Holy Family from uh, first fleeing to Egypt to get away from the threats of King Herod, and then today coming back from Egypt, uh, not staying in Bethlehem, but going on to Nazareth because his son was still in power. This sort of ordinary you know, travails of the Messiah are sort of a continuation of the theme of incarnation. They show that this is a really human being who has to deal with regular obstacles in life and, and ordinary human sufferings. He is, he is really and truly man. He's not this you know, God becomes among us and starts doing magical things to avoid all trouble. Um, this is a very arduous journey he's forced to undertake to go to Egypt and back and to Nazareth and to live in a place where he hadn't been before. St. Matthew, in his narrative, continually proclaims that these movements, these travel movements, are the fulfillment of prophecy. He will say, this was done that it might be fulfilled by the prophet. The, the point of, of this prophetic fulfillment is not that there are particular predictions so much that are fulfilled in specific actions of Jesus. The point is really a larger narrative point. The life of Jesus is summing up and fulfilling the story of Israel and is bringing that story to its, its conclusion, its fruition. Embedded within the details of, of the story of, of Jesus going to Egypt and coming back is, is a, a subtle but, but preeminent point, which is that God is in control. If we look at the whole Christmas narrative, first, how the Holy Family was forced to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census at the decree of, 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 a, of a tyrant. How they were forced then to go to Egypt to escape death at the hand of Herod. And how then, coming back from Egypt, they couldn't live in Bethlehem. They had to go to Nazareth because they were afraid of Archelaus. Uh, he also might want to kill this young child whose birth he could date. Yet, in all these movements, they're, they're, on the face of it, caused by some human action, some human agent who intends evil. Yet, the net result, as Matthew continually reminds us, is this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. So, God is in control. When we read these stories, these these questions are presented to us. I mean, who, who's running the show here? Is it Caesar Augustus? Is it Herod the Great? Is it Archelaus? Or is it, as the story teaches us, in fact, God? God working in the midst of these chaotic human events to accomplish his will. And this is the way it always happens in Scripture. Human beings disobey God or uh, misbehave in some way or oppose God, 
and then God works in and through that event to work his deliverance and his will. Uh, for example, in the Old Testament, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt, and that becomes a means by which Joseph becomes the savior, because he's in Egypt to save the family when they flee there for the famine. This, so this, this is the regular theme of Scripture, God working in the midst of the ordinary events of life to accomplish his will. This is how God rules the world. And thus the preeminent point of, of the narrative we're reading, the embassy narratives, is that the Son of God is born and his destiny is Good Friday and Easter. In the narratives we will read, there will be many people to oppose him. Many things will come up to try to uh, thwart God's will and purpose, and they will all fail because God is in control. God is ruling in the midst of real, actual human history. The application of this to our lives is sometimes a little bit disturbing, but it it should lead us to look at life differently, which is to say that if we are in Christ, if the Holy Spirit lives in us through the baptismal gift, if we try to follow Jesus and do his will, we can expect to experience periods of opposition and exile. We can expect to spend some time in the wilderness and we will be assigned our share of the cross. More than that, in a way that doesn't directly connect with Jesus, we will, because of our fallenness, fail occasionally. We will sin. Human weakness will lead us to do not what God wants us to do. But God will remain in control. In, in all of these things, we will experience the, the return from exile, the way God works to help us overcome our opposition. We will look forward to our exodus. And just like the story of Jesus, beginning at Bethlehem and ending at Easter, that's the trajectory of our story. Our new story in Christ is the story of the conquest of evil through our travails and our sufferings. Not the escape from them, but the actual conquering of evil through suffering. And this is what makes it real and incarnational. God doesn't wave a wand and conquer evil. He comes and enters into our experience and conquers in the very midst of things. If we adopt this point of view in life, it will change the way we look at life. It often takes a decade or two decades for it to sink in, but it will eventually change the way we look at life. It will cause us to be uh, maybe not quite so focused on our particular plans and goals, but maybe a little bit more focused on what happens when all of our plans and goals fail and what God is doing then. There's one story that happened to me a long time ago that always sticks with me as a kind of pattern for this. I remember one day... I had a full schedule, lots of appointments planned, and, and had organized it just so, and went out and discovered that my battery was dead. And you know, it called three and all stuff. And so I was in my sort of, I, I got very aggravated all morning. 
went over, got a battery, but was at the gas station. It turns out I, I had encountered a couple of people there and a couple of conversations that were needful for those people. They were spiritually beneficial, and it dawned on me that God's plan for the day, what God was going to accomplish in the midst of the day, was different than what I had ordered. A small story, but I think if we look at life this way, we will see this kind of thing happening all the time. That when our, we, we plan our lives, especially in our day and age, we plan our lives to the T, we have goals, we have planners, we have one-year goals and five-year goals and ten-year goals, and we chug along and push towards those goals. And when we get derailed from them, we get very angry. How dare somebody you know, change my plan? And yet, that's exactly what happens in life, and it's exactly how God works. And God changes our plans all the time. And when we get too focused on these plans we have and our ordering of life, we miss a lot of what God is doing in and through us. This doesn't mean we can't plan or shouldn't have goals. It does mean that our plans should always have a certain contingency to them. All of our plans are subject to the nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And, and we should have a certain humility and always be looking, what is God doing? Rather than saying, why is God doing this to me? We could say, well, yeah, why? Why is this happening? Assuming in faith that there is a reason that this is happening. The epistle lesson for today is from Isaiah 61 and significant to, to uh, the ministry of Christ because it's the passage that he read when he began his ministry at the synagogue in Nazareth. He, he read this passage to the congregation and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's significant to the theme of opposition because when he was done with that sermon in his Nazareth synagogue, the people were so angry with him they wanted to throw him off the cliff. But Isaiah 61 proclaims uh, hope in the language of what in the Old Testament was called the Jubilee year. Every 50 years in Israel was to be a year of Jubilee. The trumpet was to sound and freedom was to be proclaimed. All debts were to be canceled. All slaves were to be set free. And there was a general sense of freedom and resetting of, of things. And so when Jesus, Jesus comes to, and, and, and he frames the gospel in terms of the proclamation of Jubilee, one thing we should note about the Jubilee in the Old Testament is it doesn't appear that it was ever actually observed in any sustained way. So in the sense that Jesus fulfills the story of Israel, he comes to proclaim the fulfillment of that which Israel is never really, Israel is never really perfectly done. We receive this message of Jubilee as, as a proclamation of freedom from all the things that bind us, from the guilt of sin, from uh, captivity to various uh, idols and sinful tendencies. But the primary way we experience, we experience this freedom in Christ is through this ability to live our lives in this new narrative. 
that we see revealed in the life of Christ, to understand that God is sovereign, that he has already conquered all things in Christ, that he is in the process of conquering all things in our lives, and that this victory will be completed. We have won, we are winning, and we will win. This is a framework of life that makes us look at life differently, makes us look at a lot of things differently, even our enemies differently. We have, we, we, we see all these forces we feel like are opposing us and holding us back. Once we accept the proposition that God is in control, that God can work even through the things that we are so frustrated with, we can realize, we can trust, we can let go, we can have a new sense of freedom. There are a few things that, that stand in the way of that in our lives, typically. One is we just want something that's not God's will for us, and so we decide uh, to spend time wrestling with God. Sometimes, rather than facing our pain and working through it redemptively, we'd rather run from our pain, so we choose painkillers rather than the way of the cross. Sometimes we'd rather, uh, we, we have trouble, trouble forgiving, so we'd rather live in the past and, and we're filled with resentment and regret rather than grace and forgiveness and freedom that comes through the embracing of the gospel. The, the essential issue in the last analysis is trust. Can we really trust? that God is in control. In the midst of everything we see in our lives, all these little details, and in the midst of all we see in the world, do we really trust that God is in control? We can pray with the nobleman, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, which I believe is the central task in the Christian life, is to grow in faith and trust. As we grow in faith, as we let go of our need to control just a little bit more, we begin to see more. When we let go of what we have to have happen, we're able to see a little bit more of what God is actually doing. But the really good news of Christmas that's revealed in these infancy narratives is that God is in control, whether we believe it or not. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.